HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cooking Issues listeners, if you love Dave, Nastasia, Peter, Kim, me, the whole team, please consider donating to Heritage Radio Network today. We need all the help we can get. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click on the beating heart. Make sure you say Cooking Issues in the donation so we can shout you out. And any and all help is very, very greatly appreciated. Enjoy the show. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45. Joined, as usual, in the studio with Nastasia and the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. I figured I'd go full crazy today because on the way in, I, I like swallowed a bug and some concrete. That was coffee and hacking. Oh, that's bonus. classic. So you got to go full. Like when you're not feeling 100%, you got to do like 120, and then you come out at like 105 or 110. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Join in the booth with Jack, the Jackie Molecules. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, call in your questions too. 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. And if that was too fast for you, the number is 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Joined also in the studio with our favorite uh, subject of abuse, other than ourselves. <laughs> Peter Kim, the, I don't know, director, president, you know, like head cheese, like the, he's, he's number, he's the 601st Wisconsin cheese that's uh, produced, if you listen to the uh, introductory promo wow. thing, 600 kinds of cheese in Wisconsin. Leave it to Dave to diss his sponsors. 
Oh, are you, are you saying that you wouldn't make a delicious Wisconsin cheese? <laughs> Do you know that there are several Peter Kims that are not our Peter Kim? There is a... There's a whole army of us. There's Being Peter Kim, a blog. Yeah, there's Peter Kim, Peter Kim. Who is an actor, an right? An actor, yeah. Then there's all kinds of Dr. Peter Kim. Lots of doctors. Yeah. 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 Right are your now. parents now okay with you not being one of those doctors? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! Ouch. Man. For those of you that don't know, Peter Kim, not a doctor. Uh, <laughs> uh, lawyer, actually, quit his lawyering job to start the Museum of Food and Drink. Much to his family's chagrin, but now they're on. Now they're on the side. They, you've proven that it's good, viable concept. Yeah, I think they're they're taking pity on me. So, wow! Yeah, what a feel good story. Yeah, it's feel good story of the week. <laughs> Follow your dreams. Get your parents' pity. Okay, Stas Nastasia. Uh, Lopez was in Mexico for about five hours last weekend. <laughs> Nastasia, Revisiting her roots, Nastasia. Yeah, so putting the Lopez back. It's in. the fatherland, right? Because yeah. it's on her father's side. Yeah. Uh, back to Mexico, and uh, Stas. Let me see if I get this straight. You flew out Friday morning yeah. at like five a.m. Six. Mm-hmm. Right, but how many times did your plane ping pong around like Raiders of the Once, Lost Ark style before you made it to went Mexico? Went to Houston. Okay, <laughs> now uh, then you left Sunday morning at also like so you were there for w- exactly one full day, thirty six hours. Some of my friends thought I was getting an abortion. Whoa! <laughs> uh, wow! Whoa! <laughs> Did you remind them you live in New York and you don't have to go to Mexico for that? <laughs> they know my salary. Wow. So not. Oh, we, we should talk stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. so, so inappropriate on so many levels. Yeah. Speaking of uh, bad salary and people who happen to women, uh, Dax has now watched 9 to 5 twice in one week. Wow. The classic movie 9 to 5. <laughs> Lil- Lily Tomlin, by the way, freaking amazing. You know, I wish that she was involved in food somehow, Peter, so that we could twist her arm to be involved with the museum somehow. Lily yeah. Tomlin is so freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, Dolly Parton also freaking awesome. Jane Fonda, you know, you know, fine, good. Anyway, <clears throat> Lily Tomlin. Okay, so why don't you talk to us about the food you had there? It was okay. There was a lot of, like, sushi... What? Hamburgers. Yeah. Like regular, like, American yeah. interpretations of Japanese sushi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's, nice. like, three times culturally removed? Yeah, but I found a good <laughs> carnitas place and some other place. And then I saw a tortoise stand that said, with pumpkin flowers. Yeah, the f- sweet, sweet. So I asked Calabaza. if they could do it with yeah. quesadillas, and they said no. Did you have one of the sandwiches with Florida Calabaza? No, that was not an option either. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So what they have? Tortas. That's a sandwich. Oh well, it was not. They weren't. They, <laughs> hey, good, good Mexico. They were pre-made. What, uh, we, like you so saw the that they were, were already like de- like done. Well, how, what, were they sautéed and then they threw them in the sauteed, sandwiches? Sautéed, yeah. And then they threw. And then they. But why didn't you have the sandwich? I didn't want that. What, did you think that they said tostada instead of no, torta? No, no, no. So the, why did why when I said? By the way, people, torta is like the little folded up fried thing. No, torta is a freaking sandwich. It's mm. a sandwich. It's a freaking sandwich. Well, I by the way, Nastasia Lopez, half Mexican chick that grew up in L.A., doesn't know yeah. a torta. Yeah, that's true. It's also really one of the finest sandwiches out there. Are we going to go back into sandwich? Every time Peter comes on, people go to sandwiches. Yes, <laughs> the tops of the list to me are Cuban. Uh, oh, me too. Yeah, Cuban. Yeah. Uh, this is not in order. The Patty tops. melt. Patty melt. If it's not considered a burger, it's a sandwich, and it's one of the finest. It's one of yes. the finest uh, burgaloids, whatever yes. you want to call the burgaloid, the burger genre. Uh, torta. Torta. 
Bon Tur- mi? Yes, although it's not a single sandwich because you can have a variety of different bon mi's, but yes. Well, there's a format to it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's a good format. Yeah. Um, what else? Turkey Club? Turkey Club. BLT. If done right. BLT. Yeah. I, like, <clears throat> BLT to me, superior to a turkey club. Yeah. Well, and then for me, the egg and cheese sandwich is a classic, too. Yeah? Yeah. The day after Thanksgiving cold turkey sandwich. That's also a good one. The and then in, Italian cold cut sandwich is also also nice. not a specific thing. You talking right. about like like Philadelphia style? Hoagie? I'm talking about like the the kind you get around where Mofat is. Like you get you know there's like three or four different kinds of. This, to me, this is classic. Just the, like, liking what you love the one you're with. Wait, did you say Reuben? Oh. Oh, Reuben's, Reuben's a, great a good sandwich. sandwich. I don't know that it makes the top though. It's good. Yeah. In other words, like I don't know. There's so many. If we're starting listing sandwiches, pastrami with mustard on yeah. rye. Yeah, it's excellent. I mean, please. Yeah. <coughs> please. Yeah. Exactly. Standard crappy grilled cheese. Yep. Where does PB&J say Turkey wrap with alfalfa sprouts. I'll kill you if you ever mention that again. <laughs> that is... <clears throat> were you trying to mention all the poisonous things in one one thing? <laughs> is there a way to make a, a flour tortilla without cooking it at all? Because that would be even worse. Well, I think there are raw tortillas, yeah. <clears throat> they do it, make it... Don't they do it like... Nut, Anyone that would make a raw butters. tortilla wouldn't put turkey in. Yeah. But they would have some sort of sprout abomination. Yeah. Some sort of hideous sprout. Italian beef. Like the it. chat room says Italian beef. They what want is, that to. to that? They want to mention. Well, if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go hot, which I guess we did, we've gone you hot did. several times. You, you have beef on weck, baby. For any 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 Buffalo people here, mm. beef on weck. You know why? They have the kummel buns, the caro- the uh, salt and caraway buns, and then the the sl- thin sliced beef with the juice. Mm. With the juice, yeah. Yeah. I think what we're coming to realize is sandwiches are delicious. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I've been saying this for years, man. What, what, what all are, you eat? What? I know. <laughs> oh, Peter, Peter, like, uh, you know, people are like, uh, <laughs> if the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. He would be eating a sandwich. <laughs> I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. Yeah, well, in that order? Yeah, or simultaneously. So, yeah. Honey, honey, yeah, yeah, okay. Enough with the smooching. Sandwiches, sandwiches, sandwiches. Uh, what are your thoughts on the muffaletta? Do you appreciate the muffaletta or do you not appreciate the muffaletta? I like the muffaletta, yeah. It's very hard to get the bread to the, to meats ratio correct in a, yeah. in a muffaletta, I think. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question. Do you, do you like your muffaletta hot or cold? That's an excellent question. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the New Orleans sandwich. Uh, I like them both, actually. I've had both styles be good. When I was a kid, I didn't used to... So, <clears throat> for tourists, right, it's Central Groceries, like the classic tourist one. I like that now, plain. When I was a kid, I thought it was too much bread, but I'm, I'm, I'm good with it now. I like them hot. I think, uh, whatever it is, Napoleon House, I think, serves them hot. Well, how do you like them, Jack? Yeah, I go hot, usually, with that. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I don't love a muffaletta. I'm not like... Ooh, why? Yeah. You don't like the chopped up uh, Jardiner salad stuff? Mm. Yeah. That stuff good. It's, yeah, you know, I like it. You don't like that? New Orleans, I like it. I'm just, I like it. No, I like having a sour element in... Shrimp and oyster, oyster po' boys all day in New Orleans for Really? Me. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. I don't really like the po' boy bread. I'm going to go on record. Wow. Also, kind of gummy. Po' boy's not really a specific sandwich. It's a whole class of sandwiches. Yeah, but if you... If you're in New it's Orleans like and you ask for that particular pokey. sandwich, right? Yeah, then you're getting that. I mean, then it's like that sandwich is what you like. <clears throat> for that matter, what are your thoughts on the all the various Philadelphia cheesesteaky things? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I love cheesesteaks. Yeah. Why wouldn't you love cheesesteaks? 
Why wouldn't you? What's wrong with loving a cheesesteak? You're giving me like it's a guilty pleasure. What's wrong with liking a cheesesteak? No, I don't no, believe no. I mean, I, the only reason I, I said it with a size because like I feel like now the, the list is growing and growing. Where we were trying to come up with a tight list of like top sandwiches. Now we're just saying and all now sandwiches. We're saying, like, I think from from a strictly sense of pure pure, right? Yeah, so let's yeah, yeah. let's take anything out that's served on a on a whatever you want to call it a, a hoagie roll, a you know a, a sub roll, whatever. Let's take all those things out for a second. All right. Let's remove that crap. That yeah. gets rid of your, your eggplant parms. Yep, yep. It gets rid of your meatball subs. So sliced bread sandwiches only. <laughs> Which, by the way, are two things we didn't mention. Yes. Sliced yeah. bread let's sandwiches. Go, let's, let's go on sliced bread. That also, out. that also takes out tortas. Yeah, yeah. And takes out, no, burgaloids. Patty melts are served on freaking. Uh, sliced bread. Yeah, I know, but like it's, there's So not grilled. Yeah. So you're saying not like no grilled cheeses. That doesn't count anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying like something served on regular or toasted sliced bread. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> BLT straight. Yeah, I would go. That's God's yeah, sandwich. It's got to be the one. God came down and said, "Oh, by the way, check this out, BLT." Yeah. In season, tomatoes that, in season. Yeah, yeah. Either that or the Turkey Club, <clears throat> I'd say. No, Turkey Club. Well, the best Turkey Club. I'm just going to throw this one out there because this is what I have most often at the deli around the corner. I do a grilled cheese with bacon and tomato. Yeah, it's, yeah, good. But you've you've just grilled the cheese, dude. You just yeah, cheated. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, cheated. I know. I know. Nastasia doesn't like sandwiches because Peter Kim likes them. Yeah. The That's actual, not, we <laughs> ate sandwiches yesterday. They were good. What's, what's your worst nightmare of a sandwich, Stas? Mm, I don't know. Biscuit with what? No. <clears throat> do you, what do you hate more? A biscuit-based sandwich? We all know you hate biscuits. Or a croissant-based sandwich? Yeah. They, not everyone knows Nastasia also uh, hates croissant. Yeah. Oh. Really? You know what I hate are catering platter sandwiches. Oh, yeah. Those oh, yeah. <laughs> you just see that platter. Okay, oh, listen. That's the worst. Under listen, lubricated hold on, hold on, sandwiches. Hold on. Yes, oh. under lubrication uh, oh. Like, like, you, there's a rainstorm every time there's a dry sandwich out there, and it's God crying. I know. It's hard. That's why I always go for the chicken salad or the tuna salad when I hit the catering sandwich. Plus. Except for what's the problem with all the tuna salad out there? Undersalted! Yes, no. Salt your freaking tuna salad. Salt it. Um... Okay. Also, like I like it when there's some texture in my in my tuna salad. So much pain right like now. I like a little celery in mine. Me too, man. Yeah, I yeah. like pickles in mine. Chicken too. salad. Oh my god, good. Here's yeah. the thing. So for catering, for, first of all, if you're catering, there are always some d bags out there who don't want salt on there. So you should just put the salt oh, out. That's who's the, that person? They're they're the people who are in catered sandwiches. <laughs> so what you got to do is, is you got to like put salt out there so that humans can salt it. Yeah, yeah. And like catered sandwiches also do a really poor job of getting like uh, filling coverage so you always get like the one third of the edge of the sandwich is just bread you know why like, empty space in between it's some it's some jerk it's some jerk filling the sandwiches with an ice cream scoop exactly with a dose in the middle yeah, yeah. and the person's like everyone gets the exact same amount of tuna salad yeah, yeah. so like you scoop out like that amount of tuna salad because this person doesn't care it's like they've never eaten a sandwich it's either yeah. they don't care about you as a human being yeah. or they've never eaten a sandwich before in their life or some combination of those two and they just go yeah. They put that tuna salad scoop right in the middle of that bread, smack the next piece of bread, do the diagonal cut. Exactly. Next. Yeah, yeah. It's really horror show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is a freaking horror show. It's the worst. <clears throat> and, well, and also, those things aren't designed to sit around for a long time, so then the moisture migrates into the bread and it turns to a gum. gum. It's either Unless too dry you do the right architecture. Well, this is why you need to listen to the British. This is one of the times I'm going to tell you. You need to listen to the British. Tea sandwiches. Tea sandwiches. Those are the best catered sandwiches, man. When I need to do a picnic... I do tea sandwiches. Oh, yeah. I love tea sandwiches. Of course. This is the classic thing that people do. Even professionals, when they move into catering or people when they order catering, here's a classic mistake people make. What they do is they say, what sandwich would I like to eat if I made it fresh right now? 
Right. And then they make that. That's why you get all those rancid buffalo, fake buffalo milk yeah, and tomato yeah, yeah, sandwiches yeah, 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 at airports yeah, yeah. on that bread that has that wavy line of like uh, water migration and the top's too dry and it's undersalted and you want to die and you're gumming that thing down and you're waiting for it to get on an airplane. Yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? I don't know. So rather than that, any like person should think, okay, here's the problem. I'm going to make a sandwich that's going to either sit on a platter for like hours. Yeah. Or I'm going to wrap it, and it's going to sit for hours. So what do you do? The Brits the Brits have that nailed. Yeah, yeah. Just make the British. And then, like, so what? If an American's like, man, I want a cucumber sandwich. Then don't eat. <laughs> Jerks. All right. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm right, I'm right there with you, man. How the hell did we get on this? Uh, <clears throat> by the way, next week we have on the program. Super exciting. So I want you guys to think about questions for the guest we have on next week. We're having on, right? This is confirmed, us. So far. Yeah. We have Richard Rangham coming on, uh, esteemed uh, professor uh, at Harvard University who wrote the book Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. And it's very topical that he's uh, on uh, next week because very recently a letter was published in uh, Nature by uh, two other people at Harvard, Catherine uh, Zink with a K, not like the metal, Zink, uh, and uh, Daniel Lieberman. Daniel Lieberman, well-known for writing uh, uh, books about the head, the human head, uh, including his theory that uh, humans um, have a much more uh, wide variety of taste uh, sensations because we're one of the few animals that have retronasal olfaction. That's one of his shticks. Anyway, they came out with an article in Nature saying that uh, Rangham's hypothesis might not hold water. So briefly put, so that you don't – you should go out and buy his book. Anyway, it's a very interesting read. Uh, you can buy it on audible.com and listen to it on the way to the, to the work, but, um, which is actually what I did. Uh, but his basic theory is this, <clears throat> that um, – the human brain takes up a very uh, large amount of energy, right, relative to other primates. Uh, how can we afford to have such a kind of a large and sophisticated brain? How can we afford to be the way we are? And he says that if cooking came very early in our split off from uh, being a uh, regular primate to being a uh, human, then, then the availability of a denser, um, easier to digest and more efficient caloric intake, right, actually allowed for all of the other um, all of the other developments, evolutionary developments to take place. So that actually cooking is intertwined with human evolution and what makes us human, what allowed us to evolve into humans is our uh, ability to cook foods. That's the – in a nutshell, and it's been months since I've read it slash listened to it, but that's his theory in a nutshell. And I think it's super interesting and, and I, I want to have him on and also to address this new article by uh, Zink and Lieberman basically saying look at – you don't need to cook to actually uh, – I happen to think that their letter is not accurate. We'll get into it, but uh, you don't necessarily need to cook things uh, in order to get those benefits that just pounding the ever-loving crap out of them can, uh, can, can do that as well. So Rangham's – his actual thesis is super interesting, and he's done such things as hang out with chimps for months on end trying to chew chimp food, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Done a lot of interesting stuff, super interesting character. Other things in it uh, – <clears throat> You know, in, in his one of his prior books is about um, kind of male 
male-female uh, relations. I haven't read that one yet. Hopefully I'll get to it by next week. So the, there's lots of interesting sociological things about like who did the cooking, how early that split-off happened between um, like uh, uh, gender relations as it relates to food. Super interesting. Also, he has some choice words about raw food diets. So I'm sure we'll get into that as well. So please save up some awesome questions for Richard Rangham on next week's show. That would make a good exhibit the museum too. Interesting topic to explore. Yeah, uh. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the, you know, the real question for a museum exhibit based on this is, I mean, as it's a relatively new theory, you have to present it. I don't know. I don't know how we do it, but it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's like, what is it that makes us human? It's our language. It's our this. It's our that. He's like, it's our cooking. Mm-hmm. But what's, what, what I like about his argument uh, is the, the style of presentation is, look it. Uh, if you just use Occam's razor, like what's the simplest way to figure out? Like we all know we have cooking now, right? It's very difficult to figure out exactly when cooking happened from the, from the record, from the archaeological record. Um, but he said Occam's razor shows that the simplest explanation for how we got to where we are is cooking. And so like any other explanation is actually more convoluted. And so until someone comes out with a simpler explanation that fits the data or finds data that contravenes this theory, this is the theory you should work with. Mm-hmm. And I like that kind of – that's, that's my, mode of, my mode of thinking. Before Peter has to leave. Let's talk to him about his stuff. Oh, no. There's, there's oh. a call. You want to speak <laughs> that in first? So let's, do, let's do the call. Caller, caller, you're on the air. Dave, uh, this is Jeffrey in Costa Mesa. How's it going? All right. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, I, I recently mentioned uh, your book, Liquid Intelligence, to uh, uh, an associate, not a friend, uh, not, not a friend, okay. a person's a bartender, and uh, his, his response was, oh, it's too science for me. Mm. What? And, and it reminded me of the, the reviews that you read on Amazon uh, years ago. Just muddle-headed fools, uh, and and here's so here's the thing. Even if I, God forbid, never have access to a rotary evaporator, I still benefit from understanding what what vacuum and distillation uh, can achieve, what kind of flavor retention you can get. Uh, if I never have access to, or if I don't have access to a centrifuge, yes, yes, Dave. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I get, I get your point. We're coming so, as soon as we can. I can't, get, I can't get the centrifuge. I have to make it good enough for for release. That's the thing. Nastasia, v- vouch for the fact that we're working hard on it. Working hard. Working hard. All right, go ahead. That's about. <clears throat> yeah. we, we can wait. Yeah. But yeah, so even though I don't have a centrifuge, I still benefit from understanding various clarification techniques and what you can do on on different products. So, so the book is useful no matter whether you have access to all of the equipment or not, because it makes you a better, a better cook. I, ho- I so hope so. This, this bartender probably still can't even make a proper uh, and consistent Manhattan because they, they think that you can chill a drink harder with large ice cubes without simultaneously uh, diluting because they don't know the fundamental law of cocktail jerk. Well, okay, let me ask you this. Uh, Is your associate <clears> – <throat> here's the thing. You can be wrong – you can be very, very wrong and still make good drinks as long as your actual pra- – a lot of times people's practice doesn't jibe with their, uh, with their m- mental representation of what, what they're doing. Are, are, is this right. person's drinks – are they good? They're, they're okay, but they're not consistent. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's – But it's more – I mean, whether they can make a good drink or not, it's more just this sort of like 
skimming the book and then deciding whatever those reviews were, like too much information, that just doesn't even make, make sense. I know, but look, look. Uh, uh, I have a very particular attitude, and sounds like you also have a very particular attitude. Some people just don't respond well to like analytical thinking. You know what I mean? They just don't. Res- they just don't respond. Uh, right. So it's not for just the not section for on just the section on apples is worth the worth the sticker price, and that's not as analytical. You know, it's just a more interesting read. So. Uh, I, I, anyway, yeah. people should buy the book. Oh right, well, thank, thank you, thank back. you so much, and tell your friend yeah. very gently. Just be like, your drinks are good. I'm not saying that you have to do all science-y stuff, but eh, maybe you could work on the consistency. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Gen- gentleness is, is key when, when interacting. Yeah, unless, um, unless so, he's going to go full Japanese, in which case it's like you don't want it consistent. Every drink should be like a journey from beginning to end. A drink should take sure. 10 to 15 minutes to complete. Um, you know, it should cost $30. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's that whole, <laughs> there's that whole genre yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, my question is about cocktails. Um, I, I plan to, for my future sister-in-law's bridal shower, uh, I plan to force carbonate a French 75 and bottle it. So I've done this in the past just by, by uh, clarifying lemon, chilling down gin and water, uh, sort of carbonating that, and then just popping the bottle down in. Right. Does, uh, does Nastasia like a French 75, or is that just ruining champagne with, with gin? She's not a huge gin fan. Stas, why you? Yeah, yeah I don't like it. <laughs> no, not good. Yeah. Eh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my question is, it, pouring twice into those little 187 mil bottles is just kind of a pain, and I'm wondering if there's a wine that could reasonably, reasonably approach a, a champagne type note if if carbonated at a lower psi. Hmm. You know, if I could just do the whole thing. Dilute it, chill it down, and carbonate. I don't even know what pressure champagne usually likes to sit at. High. But remember, once you turn it into a French 75, it's got... So the classic French 75 is not very carbonated at all because it's just uh, champagne right. added to the, to the drink. Um, so yeah, it, so I, I, did, I diluted it further than I, I normally would if I was just shaking. and I went up to like 60% water for that original base. Yeah, I have to do some. I, I mean, I don't have uh, my numbers. I'd have to do some calculation. I once did some work. In fact, I was going to have a sidebar in the book on French seventy fives, but I never uh, did it. And I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Um, <clears throat> I mean, champagne is obviously a very good carbonated wine, and it's going to add its own kind of uh, right. yeasty notes to it. But you could use it. I mean, yeah, you could use anything. I mean, I would use something that doesn't that. You just have to test it. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't use anything that didn't that tasted you know wildly different. You want to do it right. for you don't want to do you don't want to read you don't want to use champagne because of the of the price. I, no, no, no. I'm just wondering if I, just pouring into those little bottles because I'm going to make a bunch of these uh, is just a pain, and then I have to do it twice because I'm force carbonating the gin mixture. No, no, that, yeah, yeah, no, no. Don't do that. Pen. Don't do that. Just for, like dump the entire whatever wine you use. Just dump the entire mixture together, throw it in the freezer. I don't think I'm it, losing, losing too much gas that way, though, just by pouring it all out. It all kind of foams. You know, you can't, you can't yeah, but eliminate all of the nucleation side. But you're going to recarbonate it. You're going to recarbonate it, right? So the actual... Oh, so hit, hit the whole thing, recarbonate it then with the original champagne? Yeah, yeah. I, I, whenever I do uh, this stuff, I, I batch everything, including the stuff that's, like, originally carbonated, 
that original carbonation, that foaming that happens actually helps to kind of get some of the other gases and crap out of your mixture. Then you take that whole thing. Now you can taste it to make sure it's completely homogenous, chill it down until it's almost uh, frozen, and then just recarb the whole thing and pour it into bottles. Much easier and much more consistent. So, but then when you, you did mention price when you're buying champagne, are you paying for, for the bubbles at all? Is that going to... Well, it's just a different. You're paying when you're buying for champagne. You're paying for a. You're paying for the the fact that it's champagne. You're paying for the amount of time it takes, the process it goes through, right? So they're very. They're typically uh, relatively uh, uh, acidic um, grapes. Right. Uh, they have to go through like the you know the lo- you know long process. They then they get. They get uh, disgorged and then, you know, dosage and all, all this other stuff. So you're, you're going through a big rigmarole to right. produce. But I'm sure you can make a delicious, uh, you know, you know, French, you know, 74 or 76 uh, with, a, right. di- with a different um, sparkling wine. You Prosecco and lower the, lower the sugar or something. something uh, that uh, Prosecco, yeah. I mean, a Prosecco, Cava, or even like a – maybe even a Cremant might be nice. I mean, like, <clears throat> I, okay. would just, I would just get like a bottle – Look, it's it's not a hard as long as you're getting uh, uh you know something that you like drinking. It's not a hardship to right. you know open a bottle, make 175 with it, feel how you feel about it, and then drink the rest as bubbles, right? Especially if you're going to make a bunch, and then once you lock it down, then um, once you lock it down, then now you have something in your pocket that you can do inexpensively. Like I used, right. I don't use it anymore, but like when I got married because it was 20 you know 22 years ago. Uh, you know, I, fa- I we went on a side by. We tasted like a billion cavas side by side, and I stuck with that cheap cava for like fifteen years. Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's kind of yeah. gone downhill, so I'm not going to recommend it. But <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like once you get a good thing in your pocket, then it's there for a long time. I have to go. Yeah. And what what pressure range would you uh, would you try at least at first? Forty five. 45 PS, 40, uh, 4, 45 at... 4 or 5. Okay. Yeah, 4 or 5. Last the, last the food out? No. No, no. That's what typically... It depends on what your alcohol content is. If you're getting your alcohol content down to like th- like between 13 and 15% on your final batch, yeah, that's what I'll aim for. then 45 PSI at, at cold temperature is going to be good. All right. I'll give it a try. All righty. Let, let us know how it goes. Thanks, All right, cool. Okay. All right. Here's some uh, here's some stuff in. F- Wait, what were we going to talk about with Peter again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Peter's back. P- are you are you staying for the rest of the uh, time? Peter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let me let me let me yeah, let yeah, me get yeah. some stuff written in. And then we'll talk about Peter's. We'll talk about. Uh, oh God. Have you ever heard of the? Um, I want to hear this now. The House Guest Olympics. Really it's something that that my wife and I, Jen, we used to do. It's called the House Guest Olympics. Nobody knew they were participating in the House Guest Olympics. <laughs> But we would rate people after mm-hmm. they came based oh, on like how good of a house guest or how so bad of a house guest. Of a house guest well, was uh, this I changes every time place. I come over to your place now. Yeah. How uh, bad was I? House guests have to sleep over, by the way. Oh, okay. I, how bad am I? You're, you're fine, Stas. You're fine. But I can't rate you on the house guest. You're basically like you know almost like a family member at this point, Still. so it doesn't count. Yeah. But. Um, you know, we've known each other for how many? That's not true. I've rated people that I've known for like yeah. over a decade. Oh my god! But it's a question of like how Stiles, you... you've been rated. I, I yeah, love I snacks. Snacks is good. No, but also it's like house guest Olympics is most normally when they're staying there when you're oh, there. Okay. So it's how they interact with you. Okay. So if someone shows up at your house 
right? And then is like, and I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to be a bother. So they bring like their own like milk and stuff. That that's weird. Like oh, that man. like knocks what? you down in House Guest Olympics. When people like Who leave crap that? in your bathroom, House oh. Guest House Guest Olympics Whoa. way down. Wow. When someone like like Nastasia like leaves wine and snacks in the thing, that's very good on the House Guest Olympics. Yeah. When I thought that she blew up our fireworks, that knocked her down a couple of pegs. <laughs> oh, wow. But 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 <laughs> the fireworks they were found. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. So the fireworks so that knocks her back up on the House mm-hmm. Guest Olympics. And plus, when you came with uh, Mark, you guys brought tons of uh, awesome. Uh, uh, Italian products, so you're doing quite well in the House Guest Olympics. Wow! So, but anyway, so so Peter has some House Guest Olympic stuff going on that we'll talk oh, about after we get some I questions. I don't want to get into she it. Doesn't what listen a cliffhanger! To this, show, Peter. this is from uh, well, we assume not. This is from uh, Mark Powie uh, in uh, the District of Columbia. Uh, Dave mentioned that he wanted to investigate the contents of cooked versus rotovapped maple syrup. I did say that. Sap, actually, maple sap. So the theory being that if you're, if you're doing it at low temperature, that you're not uh, going to have the same flavor. There's already some work in this area, but with more of a focus on human health than on deliciousness, of course. Of course. See uh, Navendra uh, Serum's work at the University of Rhode Island. Cooking the sap does, in fact, result in new process-derived molecules, like a polyphenol named Quebecol, like Quebec. Why do they name it after? <laughs> it has a weird voice. Hey, Dave, what's the, Quebecois. What's, what's the Alex Trebek's? Quebec, Quebecois. What's what? his nationality? What did you want to make? Oh. Uh, Trebequois. Trebequois, yeah, his own nationality. And and if you're a Trebequois, you not only pronounce French in a weird way, no offense, Quebecois folks, but you uh, also try to pronounce everyone else's language like Alex Trebek does. So that's what it takes. Right, right, right. Do you like Alex Trebek, Peter? No. What are your feelings, Jack, on Alex Trebek? Neutral. I don't know. Well, what's with the no? Why? Like, what's wrong with Alex Trebek? Uh, I don't know, man. And you know what it is? It's seeing him in taxis that pisses me off. Uh, yeah. It's like yeah. before I was like, oh, Alex Trebek, he's an intellectual guy. He's intellectually curious. You know, he seems to be a good arbiter of the truth. And then you see him in the taxi and you realize he's just another, like, shit. Well, he became you know I mean? really <laughs> self-aware and got all kind of like, uh, like a parody of himself. I, yeah, exactly. After when SNL. I was a kid, when yeah. I was with my grandma, we used to sit and we would watch Wheel of Fortune with Pat Sajak and Vanna White, and then Jeopardy with the Alex Trebek. Oh, yeah, same. I was a huge fan. Huge fan. Yep. And then, like, you know, just after a while, like, him, like, pronouncing all the Spanish words with that freaking lisp, even if this person <laughs> was freaking Mexican or from South America. I'm like, you know what I mean? All right, yeah. That's a big pet peeve of mine. Like, 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 listen, like... It's a regional lisp. What the hell? If, you, if, if it's a Spanish person, fine. If you're going to pronounce well, someone... what if he learned his Spanish in Spain? From, then? like, Ecuador, from, like, Colombia, from Mexico, then you don't pronounce the Spanish that way. Just pronounce, it, pr- pronounce it like an American or a Canadian then. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to mutilate... If you're not going to do it like the person who would if they were alive, right? But that's how, where he learned to speak Spanish, was Spain. What? Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't realize he was a Spanish professor in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was wrong. Here's another thing. Also, like, like how he like he's like, oh no, the answer was blah, like, or the question was blah. Of course he knows. He has the answer in front of him on a card. I don't know, man. Trebek. Yeah. Trebek. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. A polyphenol named Kebacol. Given that there are amino acids and a lot of sugar in the sap, I expect some Maillard products as well. I wonder if any volatile components can be pulled off and collected from maple syrup. I think I've tried. It's hard. I mean, like, there is a volatile note to it, obviously, but I can't... I think I've tried distilling uh, syrup, but I don't... um, 
I can't remember whether I got good results or not. I don't think I did. I don't remember. I also wonder about separating some of the flavorants from the sugars. I'm thinking of trying a recrystallization from ethanol. Uh, Mark Powey. Oh, man. And then they, he links to some of the papers. I can't uh, access the, the full articles, but um, – you know, it's on uh, University of R- Rhode Island's uh, website. That's super interesting. Thanks for writing that in, and hopefully if you, you know, do anything interesting with it, you'll write back and tell us more. Uh, I'm interested. Were we ever going to get some maple sap and do a demo at the museum, Peter? Uh, no, I don't remember. I don't think so. Mm, maybe but we should. that'd be great. Maybe we should. Yeah, sure. A little late in the I'm season. Down. Yeah. Do you know that... Uh, the NPR did an April Fool's joke a long time back saying uh, that if you that trees were exploding because people weren't tapping them and if you don't tap the maple trees that they would explode. They did it and people actually believed it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. The best NPR April Fool's joke was when they did a, a, the headline was studies show that nobody reads head, no, uh, people yeah, only yeah, read yeah. headlines and not the actual article. And then there was like thousands of comments of people being like, "You jerks! I read the article. I read the article. Of course I do." And then the body of the article is. This, this is April Fool's joke. This is an April Fool's joke. That's, that's pretty that's, – that's brilliant. awesome. I have a good yeah. April Fool's joke. The best one I ever did, if we have time at the end of the show, you can have me tell it because it is our April Fool's. It's not food Tomorrow is Dave's birthday. Tomorrow is my birthday. How old are you going to be? Uh, 45. <clears throat> hey, it's Jeremy from Seattle. Hope all is well on your – what? <laughs> what? What? Uh, Hope all is well on your side of the world. Uh, I have a quick question for the show, finally. I brined and water bath a three-pound... This is late, by the way, because obviously this is no longer uh, relevant to Jeremy, but... I brined and water bath a three-pound pork loin at 145 Fahrenheit for 3.5 hours last night. Someone get me that number in Celsius, please. Uh, I pulled it out, dried it, and seared it. Uh, after ate a few slices at about 9.30 p.m., all right? Popped it back in the bag, uh, displacement sealed it, and tossed it into an ice bath. So he didn't really do a vacuum on it, so it's probably, you know, not 100% oxygen-free. Then I promptly passed out on the couch. I am familiar with this problem. Uh, woke up about 12.30 a.m. and having completely forgotten about the pork, crawled upstairs and got ready for bed. Got up around 5.30 and remembered, ah, pork. And ran down and checked the water temp. It was 61 degrees Fahrenheit, so I threw it in the fridge to chill, hoping it's okay to eat tonight or tomorrow. Any suggestions or warnings? He may be dead. How old is this question? It's from last week. So if you're alive, Jeremy, I would eat it. Like, I would just reheat it. You're probably – look, you killed all of the uh, aerobic stuff. I don't think uh, – you know, I'm not an expert in this. I didn't have time to look it up too much. I don't think there's a lot of spore-forming uh, aerobic bacteria. I don't think you made an anaerobic enough environment to cause uh, the spores to germinate during that period of time and anything you did you could just do a quick kill on the outside remember you cooked it and totally killed everything then you seared it then you put it back in a bag so to me it's like similar to like a deli meat that's been sitting out even though it wasn't cured it was brine too so it was salted on the outside so my feeling is is that if you know if you ate it you're probably safe and if you didn't eat it you probably would have been safe especially with a light sear to make the family less queasy and nervous about it, it and the slight, point, the uh, slight chance that you're wrong you'll just die he could be dead though the thing is like i I always use the same uh thing would i feed it to my family or not yes bang you know what i mean that way you can't say dave says it's safe i'm just saying what would i do just in similar way to what would brian boitano do (laughs) Uh, Ben wrote in about salmon I have a question about lox slash smoked salmon I love the stuff and I'm happy to patronize its local purveyors Uh, patronize is a weird term because it's either very good or very bad how did that happen? I don't know 
Local purveyors. That's patronizing. <laughs> oh, look at your little lux. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, no, patronize. Give them money. Very good. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Could go either way. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Shelskis and Russ and Daughters. You been to Shelskis yet? Nope. I haven't either. Uh, I mean, Russ and Daughters. I have to go, like, I hear it's good. I have to go, like, I go to Russ and Daughters probably once a week because Booker and Dax force me to go. I mean, I would go anyway, but they force me to go. Anyway, Trout, uh, Trout Caviar is on the Dave Bingo game yeah. that Nastasi and I yeah. play. What's that? What's that? Well, there's like th- stories that you bring up here and yeah. there. So if we, I didn't even mention it. You, you, know, you, you mentioned it. I know. See, see how you, you self perpetuate things. I wasn't the bingo. I wasn't the bingo. <laughs> we know that. I know. But I'm just saying. You were about to go there. I wasn't. Yeah. I would very much like to see the bingo board. <laughs> there's no bingo board. It's in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And they add to it whenever. Nastasi no. is the queen of this. I knew you were going to say that. Well, then why didn't you say it beforehand so you could prove it? Why didn't you write it on a piece of paper, fold it in half, and hand it to me after I said it? See, that would be be like the amazing Randy move. That's magic. Let's build build an actual board. No, it's because they can't put their freaking money where their mouth is because they're jokers. We can. We can. Jokers. That, by the way, is also a bingo item. Jokers? (laughs) Jokers? Jack, when was the last time you heard me call someone a joker? I've never heard you say the word joker. Boom. Putting us down is definitely on the bingo board. That's just because it needs to happen. That's not a bingo. That's like saying, oh, Dave, do you need to breathe? Yeah, or you die. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, caller on the line. Our, also on the bingo board. <laughs> All right, call, caller. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get back to your salmon question. Caller, you're on the air. Okay, yeah, I hope your uh, retina has not detached, but I'll quickly get to my question. I, uh, I had a curious uh, idea. You know, they have like that debate in barbecue where some people cook things hot and fast and some people cook things low and slow. Right. Is what do you think of that? Number one, and the other question is, how does that relate to regular braising? Like some people like to braise stuff at like a 350 degree temperature, and some people like to braise stuff at like a you know a 280 degree temperature. Is there really that big of a difference? And what do you think? Right, here's the, here's the thing. To me, when it comes to barbecuing, hot and fast is really just like some variant of grilling. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so. It's just going to be it's going to be different. You're not going to get like a, like what you consider barbecue from a pit standpoint is like you have to do a lot of uh, tissue breakdown, and that just doesn't happen quickly. You know what I mean? That happens. I know. Yeah. There's just so many people that do that. Like not you know garbage web blogger people, like major people that do that, and they don't think it matters. Like how fast? Yeah, like I mean, like Ed Mitchell cooks at like 350 degrees. In, but like open or like or like wrapped and closed. Yeah, no, I mean like for a temperature for a time of you know four hours or whatever, but it's a locked and, clo- and closed. Him and several other big barbecue guys, they they cook stuff at like plus three hundred degrees. They're they're also like doing whole. Extended. He's doing whole hog, right? Ed Mitchell's doing whole yeah, hog. But, yeah, whole hog. But I've seen him do other things like the same exact way. Smaller stuff. Yeah, like ribs or anything like that. Mm. I mean, the bigger my, the bigger that was something my is. Was like a if we if we were going to braise something in a liquid, you could get the three hundred and fifty degrees, you know, for that amount of the time, and they seem to be kind of doing that same temperature on a on a, a smoker. Right. Look, look. So let's look at it this way. When you're, let's go to braising first. If you're braising, and, and remember, like you know, if you like Ed Mitchell's product, then obviously they're doing something right, whether or not it whether or not it fits with kind of what we theoretically think, right? If you like their product, then they make a good product, and so you have to investigate what they do to figure out like why it works the way it does. I'm just gonna say that 
off the top. Now, when you go to brazing and you're looking at a, a brazing phenomenon, um, the biggest difference in a braze is whether or not the lid's off or lid's on, right? So sure. if, you're, if, you're, if your lid is on, then the braze is getting up to 212, right? You're not really building exactly. any pressure. Anyone who says that you're building pressure, it's nonsense. It's horse crap. You know what I mean? Unless it's in a pressure cooker. Because even a very slight overpressure on the order of you know, decimal PSI would be, is enough physical force to make the lid fly off of anything that you would have on there, right? Uh, so that whole thing about like pressurizing it that people used to say, like, put aluminum foil and then push it down and you form a pressure. No. Crap, you know what I mean? But you are getting it up to 212 or higher, actually, depending on how – not much higher, but higher, depending on how thick the, the goop is that you have the thing brazing in. Sure. With, with the lid off, you're getting evaporative cooling, and so the temperature is significantly lower, like uh, you know, somewhere probably in the you know, high 80s or 90s, right, uh, it, it, Celsius. Um, McGee knows the exact answer because he's done these things. But um, so <clears throat> with the lid off, as long as you keep the liquid level right, I don't know that you're going to have that much of a difference um, whether your oven is above 212 or not. It's just going to – you'll probably increase the evaporation rate if you have a higher oven, but you're not probably going to materially affect uh, uh, what you're doing. Now, when it comes – now, let's, let's, let's transfer this over to barbecue land now. So let's say you're doing, uh, let's say you're doing something at like 350, right? So, what's the difference to the meat at the very inside of uh, a whole hog when you're doing 350? Answer: Not a whole hell of a lot, right? Because still locally where you are in the meat, assuming that you're a tiny trichinosis worm on the inside of a piece of pork, right? Assuming, exactly. Right. If you're in there. You are never going to get above uh, 212, ever. You know what I'm saying? Until all of your moisture is out and the, and the, and the temperature then can rise above the boiling point of water. So a high temperature on, uh, on what would typically be a braising cut or something that's going to cook for a long period of time is just going to affect the amount of meat that uh, can be uh, desiccated on the outside. Right, yeah. and so what I assume that he would get would be a much higher uh, portion of um, of uh, desiccated, dried out, overcooked, crunchy bits, and maybe he likes that. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's why I asked on smaller cuts of meat, it would seem to be a lot more detrimental because you could dry out a significant portion of it before the inside is uh, tender enough for your for your feet, for your you know hopes and desires. Does that make sense? I would. I would think so. Yeah, I just remember, you know, on the braising side, I remember reading, you know, like in the French Laundry Cookbook where they they talked about braising everything under 300 degrees because they thought it was more gentler. But if, you're, if your water temperature is never getting over a significant thing, it doesn't seem to matter. I don't think it – yeah, I don't think it matters much. You know, next time we get McGee on – See if you can like like we like he loves to talk about this stuff, so we can uh, we'll we'll have that debate. I'm sure he, you know, he'll he'll go on a tear as much as McGee goes on a tear, which is not you know he's not like a we don't know. he's not like a rant. Well, he doesn't rant in public much. It, it does seem it does seem to, it does seem to take longer when you braise things in liquid at a lower temperature. And versus at a 350. Even smaller, even small changes in um, temperature affect uh, by a bit how long it takes uh, collagen to break down. And that's what I'm really wondering about is is it more of a collagen thing or a, you know, 
Yeah, collagen breakdown, but the difference in the in the texture of a protein at uh, you know eighty five Celsius and at a hundred is like you know it's the freaking same. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's overcooked. You know what I mean? Well, that's why you have to have other flavors of things or a lot of collagen to break down. And one of the reasons why I am not the biggest fan of whole hog because then stuff you're doing that rancid overcooking to stuff like the loin. Now what? You know what I mean? It's like you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know why people like it. But they... Because they hack the whole freaking thing up, and you have some stuff that tastes really good and some stuff that's overcooked, and so you average it out to being something that, that's good. But, I, you know, I, in my book, why not, like, cook the loin exactly the way you want it, then cook all the, like, the low and slow stuff the way you want it, hack it up, and have it all be better. Right, Peter? Well, there's the ceremony to it, right? I mean, it's the reason why we do whole turkeys for hey, Thanksgiving. The ceremony to it. Well, that's why you want to do... <laughs> oh, my yeah, yeah, you like yeah. To do whole you're right, you're right. Okay. Oh. Okay. God. The high pitched wow. voice is a big go yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get to Peter's story? No, there's no, 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 no. Yes. All right. Yeah, we have to because right. we're wrapping up. Well, here. hold on a second. I got to finish the salmon question. Hustino, hold on a second. All right. So, um,. <laughs> I'm happy to patronize local purveyors. Shout out to Shelskis and Russ and Daughters. But I was wondering if it was worth making this stuff at home. I would also be curious to hear the Cooking Issues team thoughts uh, on uh, the product. We all like smoked salmon, yeah. right? Lox. And, by yes, the way, yes, yes. In, in my world, lox is lox, i.e. not smoked. Salt, salt and sugar cured either wet or dry and then you know, allowed to dry off a little bit and sliced. To me, that's lox, right? And, and the smoked salmon, like Nova style, gas bell, that stuff, smoked salmon. Okay, bump, bump. And we're talking cold smoked salmon here, not hot smoked. All right? We're all on the same page? Mm. Okay. Uh, I think basically I need a primer, but here are my questions. Any thoughts on reliable books slash recipes, especially for traditional Jewish appetizing styles, i.e. Nova locks, belly locks, etc.? Thoughts on the curing step, dry versus wet, and equipment. I have a backyard and a Weber charcoal grill, but I assume I'll need to invest some sort of cold smoking rig. Yes. Do you have any recommendations on makes, styles, etc.? Are there any that do double duty as a hot smoker that are worthwhile? How about wood? Thoughts on the species, pellets versus chips, others, etc. And fish. How high a grade do I need to go? Should I be looking for the stuff I'd make sashimi with, or is my usual pricey NYC supermarket salmon okay? Thanks in advance. Been a listener since day one, and the show has seriously helped me up my cooking, eating, mixing, and drinking game. Ben. Okay, first of all, let's start on salmon because we're going we're gonna to run out of time here, and we've got to get a Peter's thing. <clears throat> so if we start on salmon. Uh, definitely, salmon's going to make a, he- a huge freaking difference in this, and you're going to want to choose what you want based on the fat variety. So I would go to Russ and Daughters, and I would ask them what kind of salmon things are made out of. So for your first choice is Atlantic salmon versus Pacific salmon, and then if you're going to go um, either of those, uh, you, you really should – either buy stuff that's sushi grade uh, which has been frozen or you should freeze it hard in your in your freezer for uh, over for over a week to uh, kill any uh, worms anisakis worms or tapeworms that are in it because the curing step may not kill it especially a cold smoke step but investigate this so Chinook obviously has the highest fat content king salmon so if you want a very high fat content and this is like um, the salmon that you would get from New Zealand New Zealand king salmon or a gold like that's the stuff that they make the New Zealand king salmon that you get at uh, Russ and Daughters, I think that stuff's fantastic. It's super high in fat. It's got a very nice texture because it's been um, anesthetized before they kill it, so it stays very firm. So over, you know, uh, you know that stuff is uh, is good. I think the salmon's going to make a huge uh, difference. Uh, I also called up uh, Nils Norin to get his regular Gravadlox uh, recipe, and oh my god, I can't. Oh, here it is. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I wrote it down, but I guess it didn't get pasted in. 
Should I do that next week? Should I talk yeah, about yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about Peter, those Peter, salmon Peter. recipe next next week. Uh, and versus cold smoking, like I'm sure other people have a lot more experience with different cold smokers. Typically, it's done with like pipes and uh, ice over the things to, to make it done. But the, the people on the Internet will, will, will help us out, and we'll talk about it more next week. So, Ben, we're going to get back to your question uh, more next week. Peter, uh, Nastasi, why don't you go? Why don't you say what the story is? Peter had a terrible house guest. All right, that terrible house guest. What did they do, Fun. Peter? First of all, they, there was an Airbnb person. Peter had an Airbnb person come over. So, uh, and they stayed there. They are a med school student, and they drank all of his liquor. Yeah. Without saying what? anything. They drank all of his freaking liquor. Including. Including, and I don't know why you had a bottle of this, a whole bottle of Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there are things that people bring over who are low on the house guest Olympics. Yeah. Uh, so this lady was doing you a favor. Yeah, those things yeah. sit in the bar. So this lady Maybe was doing you a favor that particular case. And she had bottles, magnum bottles of yellowtail lying around, worse, empty, lying around her, her, her room in the Airbnb thing. And she never had house guests over. This right. is some nice... Some or na- it's Harold yeah. McGee. Yeah, it's, she she blamed gonna... Harold McGee because Harold McGee did stay there once. Wow. All right, so listen. On the way out, I'll tell you quickly uh, my, my April Fool's joke uh, that we did. So this was in 1990. This was before uh, we had uh, anyone... We had one guy on the floor. This is in college. Uh, my freshman year. Uh, had a laser printer. He was a senior. No one had a laser printer. No one even... No one, laser printer, right? So what we did for April Fool's Day is all the freshmen lived in specific entryways in, in our college in our college dorm. Uh, and we wrote a, a letter, and I can still remember it to this day. We faked Yale Stationery, which is where I went to college. We faked Yale Stationery, faked everything, and printed this letter out and gave it to every single freshman. Due to the unusually high number of matriculating transfer students, we will not be able to offer a place in the sophomore class to all of our current freshmen. Please find below an application for sophomore standing uh, to be filled out and handed in to your um, RA by the end of the week. Wow. And we folded it up along with an application and put it in everyone's cubbyhole on, like, laser printed. And our, sta- our fake stationery looked better than Yale's re- real stationery at the time. We got the linen paper. We got everything. People flipped out and all of the so- uh, all of the freshman counselors right played along. They all played along, oh, and we didn't even talk to them That's about cruel. it. They just all played along. We like had people flipping the hell out, and that oh. is the roughest April Fool's joke that I've ever been uh, involved in uh, playing on somebody. Wow, cooking issues. Happy birthday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.